Hello and welcome to the CU20 podcast. We are a group of young Christians who live in Montreal. We meet together to discuss the Bible and faith in Jesus Christ. The podcast today is a sermon from our sermon series on the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Today we're looking at the fruit, peace. We hope you enjoy. So I was preparing the message on peace and one of the things I thought about actually quite at the beginning of the whole process is what is it that we need in order to feel at peace? And I wanted to start by posing that question to you. What is it that we need to feel at peace? And maybe you could ask yourself that question now and think about it because maybe you don't feel at peace right now and who would blame you? But what would need to change? in order for you to feel at peace? Like what would be that line that needs to cross? Perhaps that line for you would be, uh, once I'm back at work, or once I see that curve starting to flatten or dip, once, you know, once the vaccine comes, or you know, something along those lines. What's that line in the sand that you think, when that happens, I'm gonna feel at peace again. But until that happens, I'm not gonna feel at peace. And I think that's very common. We all struggle with peace in that way. Uh, we find peace is a very situational thing. If the situation is good, then I'm at peace. If the situation is bad, then I'm not at peace. When both my daughters were born, when Claire was born, and then again when Abby was born, I was in it something like that. Uh, they give you this idea when you're in prenatal classes that the first three months of life for a new child is very critical that the, that that first three months is when they are extra fragile and after three months they're a little bit more robust they're a little bit uh, more able to handle things there's a lot of medication that you simply cannot give a child when they're younger than three months but then after three months you can begin to give it to them there's stuff like that and for both of them until they reach that you know almost mythical magical three month uh, line to the to the day for both of them. I didn't feel at peace. I felt very anxious. I felt very worried because I would look at this tiny little sque- squirming, squealy thing, and think, "Oh my goodness, they are so fragile. They're so breakable, and anything could go wrong." And so I was on. I was anxious. I was on edge. And when both of them reached that three-month window, I felt this burden lift off me. I was like, "Okay." We've reached the first milestone, and now I can be more at peace than I have been so far. I'm going to just bump my chair down a little bit. There you go. (laughs) Sorry. I felt like my head was right at the top of the the screen, so I wanted to change that. (laughs) Sorry. I just ruined everything. Peace. Peace is situational, but it doesn't have to be. We actually have a grounding for a much deeper peace that we can find. We know that at the moment the world has gotten a lot more hostile. It certainly seems that way. Uh, things that we took so, so much for granted now have become uh, really battlefields. Going to the grocery store is kind of like going to battle at the moment. You don't know what to expect. You don't know how long it's going to take. You, it's strange out there. We have a totally alien situation that we're dealing with, and each day brings new things to be surprised by. I, uh, I had something happen to me a couple of weeks ago. I was downtown. I was at church uh, on Easter Sunday to preach the, the message uh, because we recorded it in the building. 
and I went to uh, Tim Hortons across the road, and they were closed. Uh, but there was a, a homeless guy that I know outside the Tim Hortons, and he was, uh, you know, he was begging. And I got talking to him, and, and it, it turned out there was a A&W was still open, so I went down to A&W, and I bought him a coffee, and I bought myself one too. I came back up, and uh, as I came around the corner, I saw him holding up a sign. And that's nothing, you know, that's, that's not a big deal. Homeless people hold up signs all the time. And so I didn't think much of it until I got close to him and I put the coffee down in front of him. Um, and I looked at what he was holding up and he wasn't holding up a sign that said like, help me or spare change or anything like that. He was holding up a piece of paper, an A4 piece of paper inside a little plastic sleeve. And it had writing on it. And I looked closely, I was like, what is that? And he said, oh, this is my negative test result. I got tested for COVID and I, did, I don't have it. So I want to show people <laughs> that I don't have it. And I was like, that's wild. You know, the homeless people, or at least this one, is holding up a sign to let passerbys know that he's not infected and so they can come close to him. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a strange new world that we're living in at the moment. And it's not only about the strangeness out there. Our homes have become infected by the strangeness as well. Uh, for you, like me, maybe, uh, I, I always had my home was the place where I could get away from everything. My, my job is fairly stressful um, I, and difficult. And, and when I got home, that was the time when I could unwind a little bit and relax. But now it's not. I work from home and the, the, the separation between home and, and work is not there anymore. And I'm sure you find the same with your school or the work that you do as well. Or just the anxiety of not being able to leave and feeling like you're in a prison. That's difficult to, to, to manage. And finding stress spilling into new areas of life and new challenges we're facing each and every day. And so it's hard to find peace. It's hard to deal with this stuff and to be at rest. And so we need a promise. We need a truth that's going to help us to find this. And what the Bible teaches us is that peace, our peace, is not situational. We don't need to cross a certain line and for things to be a certain way before we can feel at peace again. We, we are told that peace ultimately is relational. It's about having a certain kind of relationship with the right kind of person. Relationships really are so profoundly important to us. Relationships shape us in amazing ways. We see that on a natural level with friends. They can be friends that can help us feel more courageous. Uh, when we're around them, we would do things we wouldn't, wouldn't otherwise do. They make us brave uh, or they bring us peace. You think about uh, the relationship of a child to a parent. But they would be able to handle the situation far better if they, were, if they were there with their parent. And if they weren't, they would be terrified. These relationships can pour something into us that can give us the right thing we need to handle the moment in front of us. And that's what the Bible teaches us we need to find peace. We need the right relationship. And the relationship we need is obviously with God. We need a good relationship with Him in order to find the peace we need. <clears throat> There's an amazing story in the book of Exodus where Moses is arguing with God because God is sick and tired of the Israelites continually rebelling against him. And God says, look, I'm not going to destroy them. But from here on out, you're on your own. Like you, you can go into the promised land. You can keep going, but I'm not going with you. And Moses argues with him. He says, do not send us away unless you, want, you come with us. We, I, don't do that to us. Don't, don't let us go without you. 
and he argues and argues with God until God says, okay, I'll go with you. He wouldn't, he wouldn't relinquish that relationship with God because he understood how important it was that the Spirit, the presence of God be with them. Because without that, even you know, the, the blessings of God, the provision of God, it could not compare to his presence. And that's what Moses knew and that's what he argues. Uh, Rick Warren uh, says this, he says, The antidote to your overloaded soul is not a time management program. It's not a philosophy. It's not a plan. It is a person. Jesus. That is the answer, the antidote to what we need. It says in uh, Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 to 30, Jesus says, Come to me all you who are wearied and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus tells us to come to Him and to learn from Him, to come into relationship with me. Taking His yoke upon us means that we are adopting His, really becoming a disciple, adopting uh, a posture of learning from Him, of submission to Him. And by doing so, we will find rest for our souls. You know what's an amazing little thing? You know what the most often repeated command in the Bible is? Do not fear. That command appears more than any other. Do not fear or fear not. It happens all over the Bible in all kinds of different situations. God is telling His people, do not fear. And that's an, such an important thing to realize because what it means is that this world, there's a lot to fear in this world until God shows up. And when He shows up, do not fear. And we need to know that. God is called the God of peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, verse 37. Excuse me, I didn't actually bring that one up on my computer. Oh dear. Oh, excuse me. Uh, don't quote me on that. I, may, I think I maybe got it down wrong. But there, um, <clears throat> peace is an attribute of God. God is referred to as the God of peace in the Bible. And that's a pretty cool truth, that God is a God of peace. And I like to think that. I like to think that the one who is in charge right now is one who is at peace. And he is at peace because he knows that things are in control and he understands what's going on. And so he's at peace. God is at peace. God is the God of peace and he is in control. And that is a warming truth to me. And God has so many strong encouragements for us. He speaks to us in the midst of some very tense situations throughout the Bible. <clears throat> the Bi when God appears on the scene, quite often it's when the people are in deep distress. And what does He say? He says, do not fear. Don't be afraid. Isaiah 43 verses 1 and 2, He says this, But now this is what the Lord says, He who created you, Jacob, He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. God's promise is to be with us. You know, we're going to walk through waters. We're going to walk through rivers and fires, and, and that's terrifying on one hand. But He's telling us not to be afraid. 
or not to let that fear overwhelm us at least because he is going to be with us. He's connected to us and that peace spills over into our life because we are with him in the midst of it all. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, a verse that just keeps coming up again and again in my life. We did it a few weeks ago uh, as a sermon. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God will be with us. And the word that the Bible uses for peace is this beautiful word called shalom, shalom. Shalom is, it means, it's a rich, rich word. It means uh, well-being. It means freedom from fear. It means contentment in our relationships with God, with others, with the creation around us. It has such a rich, full, weighty meaning. And that's what we are called to have. That's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, peace this sense of contentment and freedom from fear and the sense of well-being about life, that, you know, it is well with my soul. That kind of feeling is what we get. And this kind of peace is a gift from God. It is a gift that He has given us. The outworking of the Holy Spirit in our heart gives us peace. Even in the midst of the storm, we can have peace. This is something that He has given to us. And storms come in many different forms. The storm we're feeling at the moment is a certain kind of storm, the storm of upheaval, the storm of uncertainty. There are other kinds. There are internal storms, storms when our, you know, our lusts and our desires get out of control and we are driven by uh, passion in an unhealthy way. We're driven by ambition in a, in a ruthless way. Uh, we can be driven by all kinds of things. We can, we, we can be in a storm because of failure, because of you know, dealing with, with grief. We can be in all kinds of storms. And in those storms, we have the promise that we have a firm, immovable foundation upon which to stand and weather the storm of life when it comes. We can build our house upon the rock. And when that storm comes, our house will not fall because the rock is secure. And what God offers to those to be that firm foundation to, to build life upon is himself and his truth. That if we know who he is and we do what he's taught, calling us to do, we will be building our house upon the rock. And that is a beautiful promise to take hold of. You realize we have a God that understands our suffering. He understands the fear and anxiety that we are going through. He is well equipped to help us. He has come alongside us. He understands what we're going through. We have a God who has experienced suffering and that makes him a personal. He personally understands us and he comes to us in a personal way. If you, you know, are dealing with loss, Jesus has dealt with loss. The Father has dealt with loss. If you're dealing with abandonment, Jesus was abandoned. If you're dealing with fear, Jesus was afraid. He was afraid to go to the cross. He understands these things. He's experienced them. But more than that, He's overcome as well. He is an overcoming God. This is a blood-bought gift that He's given to us. And I don't know why, but that little phrase has stuck in my mind the last couple of weeks. A blood-bought gift. That the peace that we are called to have comes to us as a gift, but it's a gift that had a price. 
and that price was paid by Jesus Christ. What an amazing, amazing thing that He has done for us. Our peace has come as a blood-bought gift. God has made peace for us. He has made peace, number one, between Himself and us. That, that That's part of the blood-bought gift. That He has, through His sacrifice and His atonement, He has brought peace between Himself and His creation. That now we, who are made in His image, can be reconciled to Him. What an amazing peace that we experience. Peace with God. Incredible. We also have an inward peace because of this. Because we know that God accepts us. We can be free from guilt. We can, be, we can be free of fear and shame. We can be free of these things and instead be at peace and know that we are accepted. Know that despite our, our flaws, that none of them were enough for, to keep God away. We also have peace of mind. Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 6 when He tells us not to worry, not to be anxious. He gives us uh, an overcoming of anxiety, an overcoming of panic that we can focus on something else that will be able to hold us steady and so that worry does not overwhelm us. There's an amazing, I think pretty good actually, quote by Christopher Wright. He says this, This is not a blasé, happy-go-lucky attitude. Rather, it is a settled trust in God's, God's fatherly care and steady refusal to give in to anxieties. It is an act of will in which we choose not to worry but to pray and trust God. The whole Bible assures us that God can be trusted. Be at peace. I like that. It highlights the idea that peace certainly is not something, like we, we can't say if I'm a little bit worried that I'm not feeling peace. I think peace and worry can intermingle and come together and we can be anxious and yet we do not, those, those anxieties do not overwhelm us because of the peace that we feel. If fear creates this kind of tunnel vision within us where there's just nothing else we can see but what's right in front of us, the immediate threat, and it's hard to see anything outside of that. And the command not to fear is not like it's telling us there's kind of some switch that we need to find within us to switch off fear and all of a sudden, oh, don't fear? Oh, okay, I, I guess I won't fear then. It's not like that. It's a reminder that God has not abandoned you. When it says, do not fear, it's because He's with you. And that truth is a transforming truth. It doesn't switch off your fear, but it's a strong, strong truth that's able to hold us when, we, when we're afraid that we're going to fall away and fall apart. It's certainly not easy to overcome fear. And peace does not replace fear, but when it comes through more strongly, it holds us in the place. Remember that when, God, when Jesus is, is in the Garden of Gethsemane, He's crying. He's weeping because He can't dread the thought of what is to come. He's, he's not experiencing peace. But He also says, Thy will be done, which is a form of trust. He's trusting in God. He's trusting in His Father. And I think trust is a form of peace. To be feeling like you're coming undone and yet to say, whatever you say, I'll do it. There is a peace there. There's a trust there that's important. Important enough to cause him not to give in to fear and just go off the deep end, but to keep going forward, to walk towards the cross. But what that looks like, and sometimes that's the best that we can hope for in a situation, 
what that looks like is that we acknowledge our fear, but then we acknowledge something greater. We acknowledge that God is present with us and that we act on that greater thing as a result. You know, peace is this blood-bought gift and it begins to do a work on our heart, but it doesn't end there. And this fruit of the Holy Spirit, it isn't speaking primarily about just an inward sense of peace. The whole list that we're looking through of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is actually a list that's supposed to be seen in contrast to a previous list in Galatians 5, which was listing kind of the fruit of the flesh. And the fruit of the flesh are very uh, outward type of things. And this peace is, is supposed to be seen a, as an opposite of the works of the flesh, such as division and fights and quarrels and things like that. And that type of peace, peace between peoples, is a fruit of the Holy Spirit for sure. It begins with this inward sense of peace that we know God and we know and we are at peace with God, therefore we are at peace within ourselves, we're at peace with the world around us and people as an extension of that. It says in Romans 12, 18, that we are, <clears throat> if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We need to listen to that call. I don't know how appropriate this is for everyone, but I'm sure there are some of you who are not at peace with others right now. We are called to live at peace. We are called to work at having peace come more and more into our life and into this world. This is going to be the pull of the Holy Spirit within us. It's going to pull us towards peace with others, pull us towards peace in the church. But sadly, the reality is much uglier than that within the church. Globally speaking, the church is not known for unity. It's not known for being at peace among brothers and sisters. Lots of splits, lots of divisions. I had a professor who uh, started to describe a man. Uh, and he said, he said, you know, imagine you meet this man and he's like this and he's like that and blah, 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 blah. And he, and he kept going on. He kept describing this very, very unflattering picture of a person. And one of the, one of the descriptors he gave was, you know, you're watching the, you watch this man. And as you're watching him, every now and then, he'll just start beating himself and slapping himself in the face and hitting himself. Uh, and the whole description he gave kind of stuck with me. It was a very ugly picture. And then he ends the story that he's telling, saying, this is, this is, then you find out that this is Jesus. Uh, and the reason he, he, would, he told the story was because he tried to illustrate the fact that if the church today is truly the body of Jesus, then it's a very unflattering picture of Jesus that it's giving. And I think he was overly cynical. Like he, he was a pretty pessimistic guy, that professor. Uh, but it kind of stuck with me. The image stuck with me of a guy who, in part, would like hit himself all the time. Uh, and the reason for that is the quarrels and the infighting within the church. We really give, we do give an image of a person who hits themselves a lot because we fight ourselves. We fight within ourselves too much. I'm grateful to say that I'm seeing, at least within my ministry, a move away from that. that. This generation is far more interested in bringing unity to the church than trying to maintain our divisions. And I'm grateful for that. 
And we need to continue to carry on that torch as well. It shouldn't matter as much as it does the theological differences we have between churches or between brothers and sisters in Christ. It shouldn't matter the style of worship. It shouldn't matter the, the liturgy and the way that we do things and the preferences we have for this or that. It really shouldn't matter all that much. And we should also be willing to overcome difficulties and past grievances so that we might be able to better come together as one body. And this kind of acceptance isn't natural for us. We have a very in-group, out-group mentality, and that goes deep. And so we must be cultivating this. The sense of peace must grow within us, and that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us and between us as well. Peace within a community is built upon peace with God. Once we find that peace with God, it's going to be easier to reach out to others and to make peace with them. And I'm not talking about an easy process. I'm not talking about a process that is short. I'm not talking about a process that is uh, not <laughs> simple. It's not simple. It's not easy. It's not short. But we do need to be ones who are praying and asking for wisdom about, a, about how to tackle the issues that we have within the church. If you have an issue with somebody, be praying about how we can overcome this, how you can, come, can overcome it as well. And what the Bible tries to illustrate is that for peace to come into the church, it's not about that we all have to agree with each other, but that between brothers and sisters, we work at accepting one another when there is room for acceptance. It's a tricky thing. The Bible also points for appropriate separation when someone is in sin. It points to people who have uh, heretical, heretical beliefs that need to be excluded. And so it takes a lot of wisdom to know how to do this right. It takes a lot of wisdom to know when theological differences need to be accepted and, and you know, we live without differences and when there needs to be a separation because it veers off into heresy. I don't know where that line is. It's a difficult thing. It definitely takes prayer. It definitely takes wisdom to understand. And Romans paints a picture of a church who had groups of people that came from very, very different backgrounds, some of which that spilled out into the way they practice Christianity, some still with a very Jewish flavor, some with a very Gentile flavor. And the, the advice that Paul gives in that situation is that we need, we can stay at peace if we're willing to cons be constrained by love. If we don't flaunt our differences, the things that, try, that we, in our mind at least, make us superior to the other. We certainly don't conform ourselves to other people's convictions, but we do exercise loving sensitivity to preserve the unity of the church and to preserve the well-being of the other. It's a very other-focused type of approach, thinking about what does this person need from me and how can I provide it in a way that doesn't compromise my ideals but shows a loving use of my freedom towards them. It's tricky. It's difficult. It's complicated, but it's worth fighting for. <clears throat> Peace is worth striving for. Peace between brothers and sisters. Peace within yourself is worth cultivating. Knowing God at this deeper way, working on that relationship with Him is worth cultivating. This peace is a blood-bought gift. We need to take hold of it because it's worth it. It's worth striving for. The key to the peace that we experience both within ourselves and then we exhibit out into the world, into the church, it rests on two principles. The first is that we have a Savior who died on a cross for His enemies. And we are called to emulate that principle 
and therefore have peace within ourselves and in the community. And the second principle is that we have a Savior not only who died, but who came back. We have a resurrection to look forward to. We have an overcoming of the grave that is in our future. And that too should give us a tremendous sense of peace as our relationship with, with God is built upon grace and is built upon the power that He contains. I want to end with a prayer, a prayer that is attributed to Francis of Assisi, though it's not entirely sure whether that's accurate or not. It's a beautiful prayer nonetheless. Uh, and this will be the prayer that we use to close the sermon for tonight. Lord, make me an instrument of Thy peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out more about the church, please look us up peoplesmontreal.org There you'll find contact information for our pastors and leaders. You'll also find a collection of our sermons and different resources as well as links and information about where we meet and at what time. Hope you have a wonderful week. God bless you. <laughs>